you know, I could be walking in the hallways of, in Baltimore City Police Headquarters and have an officer come up to me and say, you don't know me, sir, but you saved my life. You know, you were able to give me information and support and counseling. And now I'm alcohol free. And now me and my family all have a very uh, a wonderful life. You're listening to the Black and Blue Podcast, a discussion and celebration of the roles of African Americans and other minorities in U.S. law enforcement. Your host on the Black and Blue Podcast is Dale Peters, a law enforcement professional with over 20 years experience in the business. Hop on board this Black and Blue train of interviews, current events, and pop culture conversations. So get ready. The Black and Blue Podcast is coming at you right now. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you. Welcome back to the Black and Blue Podcast. My name is Dale. I'm the host, and uh, I appreciate each and every last one of you for joining me here today. I've got somebody really special for you today. Today, I've got the uh, current director of officer safety and wellness for the Baltimore Police Department in Baltimore, Maryland. Please help me welcome in Vernon Heron. Morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine. How are you, Dale? Excellent. Excellent. All right. So I I mentioned that you are now the current director of officer safety and wellness for the Baltimore Police Department. What what does that entail? So, so Dale, mainly it is a comprehensive uh, initiative to educate police officers on maintaining their fitness, physical fitness and their mental health so they can survive the stresses of of police work. Uh, Police work is is very demanding, very stressful, as you know. And uh, if you don't take care of yourself, uh, a lot of uh, officers uh, don't make it uh, for a full career. Yeah, I know that's true. I know that's true. Definitely, definitely. All right, so we'll, we'll definitely get into that. But uh, first of all, let, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, so you were involved in law enforcement for quite a while, right? Yeah, so I, I grew up in a city, uh, East St. Louis, Illinois. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No. But I, I grew up in East St. Louis, a very challenging city. Uh, you know, you and I spoke off camera about the last dance and, and how uh, Michael Jordan was motivated by things. I was motivated uh, with wanting to get out of East St. Louis. You know, I lost some very good friends of mine uh, in the streets of East St. Louis, and, and I wanted a better life for myself. So um, I applied with the FBI. Um, they accepted me to my surprise, and they sent me out to the East Coast to be the uh, to uh, be an agent. Uh, so I worked at the uh, the Hoover Building for um, probably six months as a fingerprint correspondence person. And um, after six months, I realized I didn't want to be an FBI agent, so I joined the Maryland State Police. Okay. All right. And then uh, uh, how long did you spend there? Uh, I worked in the Maryland State Police for 27 and a half years. I loved it. I love wearing that uniform, as you can see by the backdrop. Yeah. Uh, I was at a press conference. I love um patrolling the streets of Maryland. I uh, love criminal investigations and narcotics. Worked there, worked my way up from trooper to major. After 27 and a half years of service, I was fortunate enough to be appointed public safety director in Prince George's County, Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C. I was over the police department, fire department, all the first responding agencies. Did that for seven years, and then I became a consultant for the Department of State where I traveled the world teaching crisis management uh, to inspector generals of police in Africa, Turkey, Amman, Jordan, and uh, now I'm the uh, director of officer safety and wellness for the Baltimore City Police Department. Ah, oh, that's that's great. That's great. So that's you in the uh, in the background back there, huh? That's me in the background. We were doing an initiative, a governor's initiative, to reduce crime in a small community uh, on the eastern shore. Uh, so I had a contingent of uh, 40 troopers, uh, undercover troopers, and uniformed troopers. Where we uh, it was called Operation People, and it was unique. It's probably the best uh, assignment I had because we got a chance to actually uh, go into the homes of, of people and talk with them to see what they needed from law enforcement. Nice, nice. Yeah, and, and you looked good in that uniform, too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Dale. Still, still looking good today. Are you? Well, you know what? That was a long time ago. I had a lot more hair. 
and a lot more resiliency, you know? <laughs> yeah, ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Well, you, like I say, you still look good, and, and now you're the director of health, uh, officer safety and wellness. So what, what do you do to keep yourself healthy nowadays? So, you know, after I started uh, researching, when I was anointed the uh, health and wellness director, to be quite honest with uh, you and your listeners, uh, I had no idea what it was. But as a police officer, I did a lot of research. And, and that's when I started to discover that uh, more police officers actually committed suicide than were killed in the line of duty every year. And the reason for that was stress associated with police work. If you don't manage it and you try to ignore it, at some point it would impact you physically and, and mentally. You know, cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of first responders. We die of heart attacks at an early age. The average lifespan of a police officer in this country is 62 years of age. And that's because for years, law enforcement agencies uh, did not educate its officers on how to take care of themselves as a police officer. They teach you how to go to a range and shoot a gun, but they don't say, hey, if you're involved in a shooting, you might have some uh, uh, something called PTSD that if you don't manage it, uh, it will ruin you and ruin your career and ruin your life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so how long have you been doing that now? So I'm, I'm going into my fifth year. Um, I, um, I do that and I do early intervention, with, which is a great marriage because I get a chance to talk to officers uh, during the intervention session and find out that uh, they didn't violate policy because um, they just want to violate policy. They have other issues going on in their lives, like they might be going through a divorce. Uh, they might be having uh, financial problems. Uh, they might uh, be addicted to alcohol. Uh, so once I talk to these officers and find out the root cause of why they're at the intervention, I refer them to alcohol rehab, financial counseling, uh, marital counseling. And over the past three years, more than 50 police officers in the Baltimore City Police Department have voluntarily signed themselves into an inpatient treatment facility. They were not disciplined. They were not punished. There was no black mark on their record, and now they're back working the streets of Baltimore. Yeah, that, that's the goal right there, and make sure that they're healthy and, and able to return back to work or some semblance of uh, normalcy after that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of uh, returning back to normalcy, how are you guys doing with the, with the COVID out there in, in Maryland? So it, it's, been a, it's been a challenge like it has been nationally. Um, you know, we, are, um, uh, we have a task force that uh, I, we identify officers who may be impacted by COVID. We, we quarantine them. Uh, we get them the help that, that they need. Um, uh, and, and basically that's one of my team members who call them and check on them while they're being quarantined. Uh, but, but more importantly, uh, one of the things that we do is we're educating our officers. Our officers are, are having, uh, wearing masks when they are out and about. And uh, hopefully we'll get out of this thing on, on the right side. Yeah. We did, unfortunately, we did lose an officer um, uh, this year to COVID-19. He was a retired sergeant that left the department and came back to work in a civilian capacity. Oh, wow. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. And, and how are you protecting yourself? Uh, socially distancing, I'm sure. And Yeah, socially distancing. I'll tell you one of, the, one of the things that I think all your listeners have to understand, that if you are sheltering in place at home, you really cannot forget about your mental wellness and your physical fitness. So, you know, every day, you know, when I get up in the morning, I come downstairs and I, I do cardio one day. I do weightlifting the next day and, and I do mindfulness and, and uh, you know, one of the things that we neglect to do, they didn't teach us this in law enforcement. You have to disengage yourself from police work when you're off. Oh, yeah. You have to do something that that where you're in the moment, if you will, and to manage your mind. I, I tell the officers, listen, when you're out, uh, when you go 10-7 uh, 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 from the police department, go home and do something fun. Take your mind off of it. Watch. Um, you always like to say that. You know, uh, Dave Chappelle is the most one of the most inappropriate comedians that yeah. I've ever heard in my life, but I can't stop laughing at it. Uh -huh. So do something that makes you laugh and makes you disengage from police work. No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> that's that's some good advice right there. Something I definitely do on, on my own time, but uh, yeah, a lot of officers need to need to hear that word and, and do that. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yes. So, so you got family? Is is that correct? 
Yeah, I have family. Um, uh, uh, I have uh, a beautiful wife and three beautiful daughters. They're all grown and out of the house. Uh, one of the things when I talk to my officers about family is like engage your kids when they're young. And it's difficult to do as a police officer because I missed a lot of activities as a police officer with my kids. Yeah. Um, my youngest daughter, Rachel, who is now a writer in New York City, when she was born, I was uh, in a position of state police where I could spend more time at home. And, and you know, I played college basketball, and my dad never saw me play any game, which really bothered me. And at a young age, I, I, I made a commitment to myself. If I ever had kids, I don't care if they're doing a jump-a-thon or playing marbles or throwing jacks, I was going to be there. So yes, as I joined the state police, I got an opportunity to meet, to meet President G.W. Bush at Camp David. The Secret nice. Service had given me a pass. But I realized on that date that my youngest daughter, Rachel, had a basketball game. So I didn't go. And when I got to the basketball game and told Rachel I had a chance to meet the president of the United States, she said, oh, my gosh, Daddy, why didn't you go? I said, honey, because you had a basketball game. And she said, and I'll always remember this, Dale. Dad, you mean to tell me I'm more important than the president of the United States? I'm like, yes, you are. So engage your kids. I don't care how tired you are. Go outside and kick a ball or throw a ball. Do something with it. Yeah, yeah. Good advice. Good advice. So how do they feel about dad being a police officer growing up, though? You know what? I get a chance to talk to them. First of all, they all decided at a young age that we appreciate what you're doing, but we'll never be police officers. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, they made their mind up. And, and, I, and I was good with that. My oldest daughter is a school teacher uh, in the city of Baltimore. Uh, my middle daughter is a social worker. And my youngest daughter is a writer out of New York City. And she's done, she did a special on uh, the Baltimore City Police Department out of, out, uh, after the civil unrest for uh, 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 Black Entertainment Television. It was, it was very good. Um, so I, I just want them to be happy. Uh, I want them to always think about others and to give back regardless of what they're doing. No doubt. No doubt. Good. Um, it's good to hear that, you know, they, they adjusted well to, you know, because us in law enforcement, we got a lot of uh, away time. You know, night shifts and all that type of stuff and danger. And, you know, a lot of times that can, like you said, it weighs on your family. But uh, I guess they decided after seeing dad do that, they didn't want to do that. So that's, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Which is okay with me. Yeah. Well, definitely, definitely. All right. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned that you play college basketball. Where'd you play? So I played in uh, uh, Springfield, uh, Illinois, uh, Springfield College in Illinois. Uh, we were so great. Uh, about five years ago, the the uh, the school went under. <laughs> you know, they no longer there's a school there or a basketball team. But wow. you know, I grew up in East St. Louis. Uh, listen, I, I there were um, Jackie Jordan Kersey from East St. Louis, Illinois. Uh, Kellen Winslow, Hall of Famer, that played for the San Diego Chargers. Eric mm -hmm. Wright, who played for the San Francisco 49ers, has two Super Bowl rings. Uh, the city was filled with with athletes and so forth, and and that was a way out of East St. Louis. Um, uh, growing up, I was very, I was skin and bones, didn't have a lot of weight to play in high school. But when I got to college, I grew all over the summer and walked on the basketball team and made the team. So that was my greatest uh, athletic accomplishments. All right. So how tall are you? Uh, six four. You know, I played basketball when six four was tall. Yeah, so right. I played right. center. Six four <laughs> center. is uh, you don't you don't see the six four centers anymore. No, you know, yeah, no, of course not. The tallest person I played against uh, was like six nine, and th that was the tallest person in the entire league. You know, but um, uh, I love the game. I I love uh, the teammates. Uh, you know, I uh, I still keep in touch with uh, with several of those teammates today. Yeah, I mean six four. That's you know that's a point guard. So how, right, how, right, how, right. how were your ball handling skills though? My ball handling skills. Listen, I, I was like um, I was like the worm for the Chicago Bulls. I was a rebounder. Okay, and I was a facilitator. <laughs> you know, occasionally I would uh, you know hit a winning basket and so forth. But you know, I, I specialize in defense and 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 protecting that uh, that rim. All right. All right. Okay. So uh, going back to the officer safety and wellness, um, how have you seen the the effect of your program within the department? Have you seen a lot of officers come through and uh, and come back and, and thank you for what you guys are doing there? You know what, Dale, that's what keeps me going every day. You know, when I was a Maryland State Trooper, uh, I was involved in a shooting and um, um, 
uh, after that shooting occurred, I, I went through um, uh, post-traumatic um, uh, stress disorder, and I didn't know what it was. And I didn't dare tell anybody. So I suffered in silence. And, and what I did was I leaned on Dr. Jack Daniels to get me through it. Uh, it got to the point where Dr. Jack Daniels wasn't doing enough. So I had to, in the, in the cover of darkness, I had to go see a mental health professional. And I got uh, mental health help. And I tell officers, when officers involved in a shooting or a critical incident, I'll come to the scene along with a mental health professional. They'll get a debriefing before they go home. You know, I could be walking in the hallways of, in Baltimore City Police Headquarters and have an officer come up to me and say, you don't know me, sir, but you saved my life. You know, you were able to give me information and support and counseling. And now I'm alcohol free. And now me and my family uh, have a very uh, a wonderful life. And so that's what keeps me going every day. I really appreciate the feedback. And, and my, my claim to fame is, is, number one, to eliminate police suicides and to get police officers through stress associated with police work. Yeah, yeah. How about in the, do you know any of the statistics in Baltimore or Maryland as a whole as far as uh, officer suicides? Well, I can tell you this, that, that we had a suicide um, uh, last year. Uh, um, Baltimore County has had a suicide. Almost every police department in the metropolitan area have experienced suicides. And, and, and nationally, it, it is one of the number one killers of our of police officers. Yeah. And unfortunately, our, our police institution doesn't recognize stress the way it should be. Uh, you know, when I was a young trooper, it's like, if you had any issues, let's listen, toughen up. That's not my problem. Come to work. You know, I remember being on the scene of three of my troopers were shot at the, at the simultaneously. I mean, at the same, at the same incident. And, uh, it was the most horrific scene I've ever seen in my life to see three of my colleagues hanging on, uh, for dear life. And we were required to come to work the next day. And every day, I never took a day off, but it, that scene impacted me and my colleagues because we didn't understand uh, tr trauma in police work back then. So right. we're trying to change the culture, we're trying to shift the paradigm. And how do you guys get the word out to the to the troops uh, over there at the PD to make sure that That's they can come question. in and 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 and, that, and deal with this? Outstanding question. So every police officer in the Baltimore City Police Department over the last two years has had to take a mandatory health and wellness class. Well, we talk about nutrition, we talk about mental health, we talk about um, 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 fitness, we talk about a lot of things that keep you, um, to make you resilient. And uh, that's a two-hour class. Every officer has to go through it. Every officer in the Baltimore City Police Department gets my phone number. Uh, my phone might go off while we're having this, this session because I want officers to call me and I tell them, if you call me with assistance, I give you this, that needing assistance. I give you the assistance that you won't be penalized. You won't be punished. Right. Yeah. That's, that's good to know. Yeah. We have something similar. I, I would assume most departments do, um, but we don't take any classes out here, at least in my department out here in Cali. But uh, yeah, that's, that's good stuff to know. That's really good stuff to know. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the class is important because number one, it, um, you know, I show a videotape of, of uh, and it includes an officer who was struggling with alcoholism and he came to our unit and um, he he went away for treatment. And when he came back, he reached out to me and said, listen, this is the first time in 17 years that I've been free from alcohol. Because when you come to the police department, you go to the to the lodge, drinks are 50 cents and, you know, somebody gets uh, promoted, we go out and drink, somebody dies, we go out and drink. It's just one of it's part of the culture. So we're trying to turn back that culture and, and let officers know, you know, if you want to drink, it's fine. But when you get to the point where you have to have a drink every day, that's the issue. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. So, uh, you know, you being African-American, and uh, I know you, you say you came from East St. Louis, uh, was there any kind of blowback or, or people that didn't want you to pursue a, a career in law enforcement? Well, you know, I, I guess a lot of my friends thought when they found out I was going to law enforcement, they were like, what, you going into law enforcement? I'm like, yeah. Um, so, you know, after I uh, joined the uh, FBI and then subsequently the Maryland State Police, you know, um, in the academy, which is a six-month living academy, you know, they, they, they train you and teach you. 
and and that you know once you graduate from police academy we're all the same we're all brothers and sisters in blue yep and 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 for a moment i i i i, I drank that kool-aid until i got out in the real world and and um you know back in the 70s there was um um a lot of racism in the maryland state police you know one time i was talking to a detective uh, on the phone and he didn't know what my race was. And we were talking about this case and he used the N word. And I was like, excuse me. And it was a long pause. And he says, Oh my gosh, are, are you, are you black? And I'm, I'm like, yeah, but why would you do that? You know? Wow. And and I, I reported it to my supervisor and, and I guess, and, and it was downplayed. Like he's a good guy, you know. He didn't mean that, and this and that and, that and this. I'm like, well, if you said, you mean it. But you know, listen. Uh, I was a president of the Coalition of Black Mental State Troopers. Uh, we had to have that organization. Uh, at some point, we did did sue the Maryland State Police successfully, and and uh, we were able to get some things in the settlement about more promotions, more training, and things of that nature. So. Um, listen, being a law enforcement officer is already a difficult task, but to be faced mm-hmm. with racism inside the department and outside the department, you are dealing with more stress than the average police officer. Right, right. Not African-American. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And has that changed a little bit uh, to your knowledge? Have they gotten more diverse over there? We you know it, we were diverse for a while in the state police, and but now I, you know, I get this trooper magazine. And I look at graduating class, and, and you can barely see African Americans in it, and which is disheartening. You know, um, it, it is. You were thinking twenty twenty that you know a class of state troopers be reflective of the current population in Maryland. The current population in Maryland for African Americans, people of color, is about sixteen to seventeen percent. And we'll graduate a class in the state police and it'll be barely 3%. Um, you know, after all that I went through and my colleagues went through in order to uh, improve the face of the department, it just seems like we're going backwards. And that's kind of disheartening. Yeah. We've never had an African-American superintendent in the history of state police. Uh, the first African-American in the history of Maryland State Police was hired back in 1966 and they wouldn't let him wear a uniform. They wouldn't let them wear a uniform. Wow. So that's that's some of the things that that uh, black troopers had experienced before me. And and I had my my own challenges as well. Um, you, you just hope that you lay down your sacrifice because you want to be better for other African-Americans who want to pursue a career in law enforcement. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, I think that's, uh, you know, I talked to this with other officers. That's kind of a, a theme going around the, the, the whole nation in police work. Is, you know, first of all, it's hard to recruit anyone of any race nowadays uh, into law enforcement, but uh, definitely uh, African-Americans and, and, and uh, other minorities into the profession just because, you know, what you see, they see on social media and all that type of stuff. So it's extra hard uh, for us to get them into the profession and get them in the door. So, yeah, you're right. And, you know, today, um, uh, listen, when I when I applied for the Maryland State Police and I went to the state police gymnasium to take the physical fitness test. The line for applicants was not at the gym door. It was all the way out to the street. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm competing against all these applicants. Today, you barely can get a handful of applicants in, especially people of color. And it's our fault. You know, we haven't done enough in order to be open and engaging to other communities about law enforcement. Right. And, and we need to change that perception and we need to do better. When I see these videos of these young black men being shot, for no reason, it's, it's it's disheartening. I talked to a colleague of mine out in Los Angeles and said, "Man, what is going on with our profession? You know, what happened to firearms discipline? You know, uh, it, it used to be the <clears> last <throat> thing you would put your hand on was your firearm. Now it appears to be the first thing." Right, right, yeah. And then uh, I would assume, just from you know my knowledge of TV and and stuff like that, that Baltimore PD is a little bit more diverse. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, we, we, you know, the city of Baltimore is about 90% African-American people <laughs> of color and so forth and so on. Uh, you know, I, I think we still have our challenges in Baltimore, like everywhere else. Uh, um, it is important to understand that, that that we as a public safety agency need to do more in order to 
uh, attract those young African-Americans or people of color and females who really want to be police officers. And not only that, but once we get them, we have to retain them. So if you go to a job, I don't care if it's police work or IBM, if you don't feel like you want it, you're not going to stay long. Right. Right. Definitely. So. All right. And then uh, you mentioned earlier that you after you left Baltimore State Police that you went on some uh, was it a consulting job where you traveled the world. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah, that was very rewarding. Uh, my, my wife didn't like it because I was going all the time. Right. So I went to places she, she didn't like, get to go with you. No, no. Oh, we had the kids, it, too. Yeah, we had to have a clearance. And when we got to places, it was uh, remote places. We would uh, State Department officials would come in and tell us not to wear anything that said USA, told us not to tell anybody we're from the USA because we were in the Middle East. You know, I was in Turkey and Amman, Jordan, and and and, and Tanzania, Africa, and, and places like that. Um, it was very rewarding because, Dale, I got a chance to talk to police officers all over the world. And the same problems we have in the United States they have in Amman, Jordan, or, or Turkey, or, or Tanzania, Africa, recruiting, payment, uh, uh, a salary, uh, uh, being able to maintain a level of professionalism, corruption, all those things that we experience here, they experience there. Yeah. So I was teaching crisis management. Uh, I got a chance to, to talk to a lot of officers in Tanzania, Africa. Tanzania, Africa, there is only, when I was there, two police, two uh, patrol cars for 10 officers. There was only one radio for nine officers. They didn't have the resources we have here in the United States. But I got to tell you, I've never met a, a prouder group of police officers. They were very proud to be Tanzania police officers. And I took away from that is that that they were not doing it because it was a job. It was a calling. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to go to those those places and you got to knock a few uh, places off your bucket list, I'm sure. Right. Yeah, it was. Listen, I went to Cyprus. I went to Ecuador. I went to places that I wouldn't even uh, dream about going to if I didn't have this consulting position. I got a chance, like I say, to see the world, uh, to meet different people, to eat different foods and so forth. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of places in the Middle East, uh, United States uh, citizens are not, are not welcome. And um, uh, I understand that. And, and uh, I had a couple of close, close calls when I was in Amman, Jordan. Um, but I had to get used to the culture and I had to be careful. You know, one time I walked out and I was in the hotel. They wouldn't allow us to leave the hotel unless you had an armed guard with you. And I was so stir crazy. I, I talked the guard. I said, let me go out here and go down the street and just go for a walk. And I went for a walk and I came back. And it was a different, there was a change in the guard. And this, the guard who was on the hotel didn't recognize me. And he approached me at, at, with his gun up saying, where are you going? I was like, oh my God. Yeah. And it was just, you know, I said, I'm, 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 I'm from the United States of America. I'm teaching here and so forth and so on. And and the, uh, somebody from the hotel came out and said, he's okay, let him in, you know. But that's just how how the security was tight. There had been a lot of bombings uh, uh, in, in Amman, Jordan, and so forth and so on. So they just wants to be careful. All right. So do you still like to travel? Uh, I haven't done any international travel, and right now we're not doing any travel. Well, right. I do love to travel. Uh, you know, I go to the Hall of Fame every year uh my wife's uh which, which uh, hall dad, of fame which hall of fame uh, i'm sorry the, the nfl hall of fame okay in canton uh my wife's uh dad played in the nfl for 17 years he's in the hall of fame really so i get i get a chance to go there and and meet uh nfl players that growing up i idolize and, and take pictures with and shake their hands and things like that nice nice can, can you mention his name yeah yeah uh lenny moore he okay. played in the in the um, uh, the first uh, Super Bowl, which was not called a Super Bowl, it was a World Championship between the Baltimore Colts and the New York Giants. You know, yes. and um, uh, yeah, it's 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 enlightening to sit down and, and talk to him uh, about the challenges that he had playing in 1958, uh, being a black ball player and, and not being able to stay in the same hotel room, with, I mean, hotel with white ball players, but but he overcame that and. Um, you know, he is not only a Hall of Famer uh, by NFL standards, he is a Hall of Famer in life because that man would not turn down anybody asking for an autograph. We were out at the Ravens Stadium. Somebody recognized him, 
And this long line of people came and was asking for autographs. And was like, you know, practice was over and everything. And a security guard came out there and said, hey, Mr. Moore, you want me to cut this autograph line off? He says, absolutely not. And we stayed there till late in the evening until he signed every autograph. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And he's still around, right? He's still living with yep, us? Yeah, he's still around. Yep, yep. I, I saw him this uh, past weekend. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have an induction ceremony this year, but, uh, you know, if you like football. Which I do. And, and you have got to go to the NFL Hall of Fame during induction weekend. You'll get a chance to see ball players. You'll get a chance to take pictures of ball players. It's an experience. If you love football, you have to go there and then go inside the museum and everything. It's it's a great experience. Yeah, that, that's one of my bucket time, lists. It's the only time where a grown man gets a chance to act a kid again and nobody nobody will criticize him. Right, right. Yeah, that's yes. on my bucket list, that one and the uh and the basketball Hall of Fame. Okay, I've never been there. Yeah, yeah. me neither. So I wanna get there and you know, if I get around to going to the baseball one, I'll go there. But basketball and the football one, that's that's what yeah. I want to head to one day. So, all right, all right. So, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, him uh, being able to, you know, not dorm with his his teammates back then. Did you have any trouble with that when you were in the academy back in the was it the seventies when you uh, went through? So no, we so when they we uh, you know, and basically all of my uh, I think at the time, so so the state police at the time they were on a federal consent decree, so it was not like they were trying to hire black ball players. Uh, I mean, black, black uh, troopers that the federal government said they had to hire more. So um, uh, I was, um, uh, my class was the largest class of black trooper applicants in the history of state police. And, um, um, you know, I, I, they, they treated all of us. It was like a, a boot camp type of uh, academy. They, so they treated all of us the same. They treated us like crap, right. you know. <laughs> Uh, so they wanted to test to see how how um, you know if you if you had what it took to be a trooper because they said when you get on the street especially as a black trooper people are not going to receive you well. Listen, I I I've had um, uh, one of the first arrests I made uh, was a a white guy for DUI, and this guy called me every N word in the book and and he spat on me. It was like one of the worst nights of my career. And um, I I realized then and there that that I was going to be have certain challenges as a black trooper in, in Maryland. Um, and that uh, I had to really be be careful and cautious. Yeah, definitely. And, and you made it through uh, relatively I, I, unscathed. I, well, yeah, I made it through uh, uh, 27 and a half years. I, I if I had it all do over. Um, I would do it again. I, I love wearing that um, that uh, uniform. I love those high speed chases. See, back then, uh, see, Baltimore City Police Department they can't involve in high speed chases. Only very uh, 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 few incidents that you could do that. And the state police, there were there was no prohibition. And I love driving that state police car down the highway going 140 miles per hour, which sounds crazy. But when you're 21 years old, you're having fun. Yeah, you know, yeah. About that day, I'm thinking, what was I thinking? You know what I mean? Because uh, you weren't a, a, a blowout at 140 miles per hour. You and I wouldn't be having this you, conversation. You wouldn't you know? be here today. That's right. You know? That's but right. I love, I love doing it. I love engaging people. Um, I, I love going into communities. Um, like I said, the violent crime strike force was one of my last assignments where I got a chance to go into public housing. And, and talk to people and sit out on, on, on front porches with people and drink lemonade with them. And see, I grew up in public housing. I'm a product of public housing. So when I get a chance to, to get this assignment, I, I, I jumped at it. Uh, a lot of people in public housing had never seen a black trooper. They didn't think black troopers existed. So uh, number one, I wanted to, number one, it was, it was a great recruiting tool because you had young men that said, oh my gosh, I can be a state trooper. Yes, you can, you know. Keep your nose clean, listen to your parents, stay in school, stay out of trouble. And the day that you want to become a trooper, call me. And I got to tell you, I did that with a young man and he called me and said, you probably remember me. I met you when I was 12 years old and you told me if I ever wanted to become a police officer, call you. And I want to become a police officer. And 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 I, I got I was I was uh, fortunate enough to help that young man. Uh, get into a career in law enforcement. And I just heard from him recently. He called me and says, man, I'm about to retire. 
But I just want to let you know, as I was reflecting on my career, I thought of you because you helped me get into this. So it's that's one of the rewards that I had uh, uh, that I take away from being a, uh, a law enforcement officer. Yeah, definitely. And, and that's kind of the, the goal for this podcast as well, is to show young people that, you know, that look like them that they can do this, too. So, yeah, I appreciate you. Yeah, it's a rewarding career. It's not for everybody. Uh, sure. But I, I got to tell you, I had a lot of fun. I met a lot of people. Just like every job, there are good times and bad times. Uh, but when I reflect back on my my career in the state police, uh, uh, the good times outweigh the bad times. All right. So uh, state police, you know, out here in California, uh, we had the highway patrol, and they basically handle mostly, you know, uh, highway incidents and traffic and DUIs and, and stuff like that. Uh, but it, it seems like more back east, uh, state police, they handle more police work as well as, you know, the highways. Is, is that correct? Yeah. So 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 the difference between uh, it, we're all troopers, but the state police normally enforce all uh, criminal and traffic laws. Highway patrol, uh, whether it's in California uh, and there's some others, they mainly focus on, on the highway. Now, um, I mean, I, I worked in homicides. I worked homicide. Uh, I've done narcotics. I've done it all. You know, you mentioned California Highway Patrol. You know, after three years in the Maryland State Police, um, I got a chance to go out to California because a friend of mine was a California Highway Patrolman. So I spent some time with him. And, uh, man, I, it was right about the same time. You're probably too young to remember this uh, uh, a series called Chips. Oh, yeah, I remember uh, that. Yeah, so Chips was out, yep. and, oh, my gosh, that was a craze about being a trooper, was being a California Highway Patrolman. So when I went out there, I was talking to this African-American lieutenant who called me in his office while I was visiting the uh, 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 their district, and he says, hey, man, you know, listen, we're trying to get more African-Americans out here, and you will be a, you've already been through an academy. You ought to come out here. We'll pay you more money. And I was that close to saying yes. The only thing that that turned me off was he said, you have to go through our academy again, six-month academy. I said, oh, no, I'm not doing that ever again. Once is enough. You know, I I, I drank that Kool-Aid and ate that academy food. I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not trying to do that again. I hear you. I hear you. Trust me. I hear you. I hear you. So what what are some of the the rewarding factors that you have doing your – your current position now? Do you have people come back and say uh, that you've helped them and, and uh, you know, helped them get through whatever they were going through? Yeah. Yeah. So when I, I see young police officers today, especially in my class, I see a reflection of my colleagues in the state police that didn't have an opportunity to have this type of training and awareness. And I, I think about the number of troopers that, that committed suicide or died of cardiovascular disease, or were fired because they became alcoholic. So this is my opportunity. This is my opportunity to do something that the state police, and actually no law enforcement agencies at the time were doing, is talk to the officers about taking care of themselves, showing them that, you know, we want you to go out there, we want you to do a good job, we want you to be safe, but we want you to survive the rigors of police work. So yeah, I, I get phone calls, I get text messages, uh, I get officers who I've come in contact with who come up to me and, and say that that I saved their careers. And, and I wish we had something like that when I was a trooper, when I was a young police officer, because, you know, this should be mandated for every police department in the country, that you have a robust officer safety and wellness section that is not part-time, it's full-time, and they focus on it's just as important as training and going to the range and having in-service classes that you have to have those resources. We have a 24-7 hotline. If a police officer in Baltimore City is struggling at 2 o'clock in the morning, he can call this hotline and somebody be there to talk to him and provide counseling to him. When there's a shooting in Baltimore City, we'll respond to the scene with a peer support member and a mental health professional. That officer will get a debriefing, a free and confidential debriefing from a mental health professional, and everything he says is between him and that mental health professional. It's not used against him when they're investigating the shooting. And and that officer will go home, and when that officer can't get to sleep or has a lot of anxiety, he realizes it's not him or her. It's the effects of the shooting. 
that while they're feeling that way, which is normal. Right. But, you know, we, we put our officers in counseling. Uh, we give them 10 days off when they're after they're involved in a shooting or a critical incident. Uh, they, they can call me or they can call a peer support member. And our main goal is to make sure that when they get back to work, that they're ready to go back to work. We don't just throw them back out there and say, okay, go ahead. You know, we talk to them and we transition them back to work slowly. All right. And uh, how large is the team that uh, that you work with? And and what is it so, uh, comprised of? Yeah, so I have one lieutenant. I have one sergeant. I have one detective. I have um, um, two uh, contract specialists who were former police officers. They got injured in the line of duty and they transitioned out and they wanted to come back and, and still give uh, assistance to the Baltimore City Police. So I hired them as contract specialists. Uh, you know, they have, uh, they're able to engage the officers because officers will engage you if they know that you are, if they look at uh, you and they see a reflection of themselves. Hey, he's a, he used to be a police officer. He knows what I'm talking about yep. and so forth. So that's that's important. Um, uh, but everybody in my unit is full time, um, uh, and 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 there. Um, uh, I have another officer who joined us recently who uh, is on light duty because he was injured in line of duty. Uh, we have a health and wellness patrol vehicle that that goes out. If you go to the Baltimore City uh, Police website and you go uh, to Officer Safety and Wellness, you'll see all our photographs and videos. That patrol unit goes out at night, and we provide food for our officers. We provide a uh, information about protecting their health, and, and they understand that this is just not a program, that this is, this is a way of life from this day on. Nice, nice. And are there any full-time assigned to the team uh, mental health people as well? or? Well, so so... So Dale, that's that's our that's one of our biggest gaps, is that uh, we don't have a full time mental health person, and and moving forward, um, uh, I applied for a grant to get a full time mental health person because I think it's important. Uh, officers are more comfortable to come to you with their problems if you have a relationship with them, and a full time mental health uh, person could like rab with the officers. They can go to graduations, they can go to mm-hmm. funerals. Officers can get to know them on a first name basis. So if I know you on a first name basis, I'm having a problem. I have a level of trust with you, Dale. I don't mind picking up the phone call and say, Dale, I'm having some problems at home. Can I talk to you about it? Yeah. It's a lot better than going to a stranger. So we don't have a full-time mental health professional. Before I leave this department, we will have one. That's one of the goals that I think will, will uh, uh, be the icing on the cake for us in Baltimore City. All right. So speaking of when you leave, what, what, what are your plans? How, how much longer do you think you're doing? What- I- <laughs> I don't know. You know, I um cuz you cuz you've had a long career, so yeah, at some point you may want to just relax, right? But what would I do? You know, listen, my father, my late father was a, a a workaholic. My 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 oldest brother who is 77 years old just went back to work in the factory. I'm like, "What are you doing?" He says, wow. "I don't know. I can't get it out of my system." So we're a family of workaholics. I, as long as I feel like I can, I can give back, and that I'm saving someone's career or their life, or or enhancing uh, their ability to do the essential functions of a police officer, I'm going to do that. So, you know, I'm not a young chicken anymore, but I work out on a regular basis. I try to have fun. You know, I tell this story about going to New York City, and I've never been to a Broadway theater uh, play in my life. My wife, who grew up in an atmosphere where they did that all the time. Talked me to going to one. I was like, I really don't want to go to a Broadway play. It doesn't even sound like fun. And we went to see Les Miserables. And I got to tell you, Dale, when the curtains opened up, I was mesmerized. And when they closed, I was hooked. I've seen about 40 Broadway plays now. All right. I've seen Denzel Washington and The Raisin in the Sun on Broadway. I've seen Chicago. I've seen uh, Chorus Line. Uh, uh, you name it, I've seen it. Uh, I really... And the reason I say that is because uh, if you, you watch Michael Jordan and, and he had just won a championship in, in, in the last dance and somebody says, well, you coming back next year. He says, hey, 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 we just won a championship. I want to live in the moment and living in the moment will help build resiliency in your mind. So when you had a Broadway play or you're watching comedy, live in the moment. Don't worry about the stress associated with police work. 
Yeah, yeah. It's funny you mentioned about Broadway. Um, a few years ago, I took the kids to see uh, Wicked, and uh, that, I, I really like that show. Years ago when I was a kid, uh, I, I grew up in, in Ohio, and I had family in Chicago and New York. My mom took us to see, um, was it Showgirls or one of those? I was too young. So okay. when, uh, when okay. I got older, I wasn't really into it, but now, you know, I, I, now I'm hooked. And and I'm sorry, you know, I'm so upset that I didn't get to see Hamilton. But, uh, yeah, that's the one oh, I wanted yeah. to see. Did you that's get to on see my that bucket one? List. That's, that's on my bucket list. Now, my youngest daughter wrote a play that was off-Broadway. And uh, she was very talented, very smart, like all my kids. Of course. Uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, she loves the theater. And every time we go to visit her in New York City, uh, she's like, hey, let's go to the theater. Because there's a place down in in town square called ticks you can go there and you can get inexpensive reduced broadway ticket uh 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 tickets uh at a reduced price for that day so listen i uh every year i i, I hope and pray that we come out on uh, on the other saturday's thing because I, I love broadway uh theater yeah we will but it, it it's going to be a little different i'm sure at least for a while yeah, you're probably right. You know, I just want everybody to stay safe. And listen, I, we all want to get out. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's important to understand that that COVID-19 is 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 really impacting the African-American community more than any other community in the nation. And we have to really be careful. We have to protect our, our parents and our grandparents and, and our siblings and so forth. You know, we will get back and we will come out of this, but we have to do it the right way. That's very important. Um, I, I don't want to go to any more funerals or, or hear uh, one of my my friends call me and says, hey, man, so-and-so passed away of COVID. You know, it's just this is not this is unprecedented uh, in, in my life, in our lifetime. And I just want to come out of it the right way. Amen. Amen. So I appreciate you. Uh, I'm really glad you came on the show and. And gave us some health and wellness tips and that we can all take back to our own professions, whether we're in law enforcement or not, you know, because there's uh, stresses in all sorts of jobs. And, and we, especially us as, as males, uh, mostly that are, you know, not willing to really talk about it. So I appreciate you for for talking about it. Yeah, thank you. So I, I do want to give your listeners my email address. Because Absolutely. When I travel the nation and I teach my health and wellness class. I get officers from Ohio, from New York, from California who reach out to me and say, we don't have anything like this in my department. Can I can I get information from you? I'm like, absolutely. So my email address is uh, Vernon, V-E-R-N-O-N dot Heron, H-E-R-R-O-N at Baltimore Police, one word, dot org. If you send me an email and you need information about starting a health and wellness uh, section in your department, uh, I would do everything I can to, to help you uh, uh, give you the information to help you get on uh, uh, get on the right track with this. All right, yeah, and I'll put that up on the screen and and uh, and get that in the show notes as well, so it'll be actual text that people can see if they didn't actually uh, catch it right there. So, uh, Vernon Heron at baltimorepolice.org. dot org was it dot org? Yes, yeah. Vernon Vernon dot Heron. Vernon dot at baltimorepolice.org. That's it. You send right. me an email and I respond to, you know, a good Maryland State Trooper will respond. We'll return all phone calls and now return all emails. So, yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing from uh, you and, and your listeners. All right. Thank you. Thank you. We'll definitely get that you, get that out there. So, but before I let you go, Vernon, uh, like I discussed earlier, I, I got a little, little trivia game for you. So let me set this up for you. All right. So this game is called... Black or blue, 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 black or blue. Come on. All right, sir. So this game is called uh, Black or Blue. Your category today is going to be one win one for the Gipper. Uh, colleges or universities. I'm just going to name a college or university. And you just tell me is one of their major colors black or blue, black or blue. One of their major colors uh, of their school colors. So real simple. Uh, your, your first school here is Alabama State University. Uh, Alabama State University, I'm going to say black. And you, are, you are correct. You hear your fight song there. Good job there. Right. Your next one, see, you one out the gate. One out the gate. All right. Uh, Oregon State University, black or blue? 
Oregon State. Um, Oregon State, I'm going to go with blue. Uh, you would be wrong there. You see there. Orange and black. That's all right. One, we got one down and one up. Uh, your next one, University of Cincinnati, uh, University of Cincinnati Bearcats. Black. Definitely black there. All right. Your next one is Boise State. I think I gave you a little, yeah, little peek there. They even have a blue field. So yeah, they do have a blue field. All right. Your next one, uh, how about uh, University of California, Berkeley? You can call them Cal, the Cal Bears. Cal, Cal, Cal. I'm going with black. Oh. No, they are blue. Yeah. We, we're getting through this. A few more here for you. How about Mercer? Mercer University Bears. Mercer. Uh, Mercer, I'm going black. You'd be correct, sir. Orange and black. A couple more here for you. Texas Tech. Texas Tech Red Raiders. Uh, black. Uh, black. Red and black. Uh, how about University of Kentucky Wildcats? Oh my gosh, blue, big blue, definitely blue. We all know that one. <laughs> and your last one here, the University of Connecticut Huskies, UConn. Uh, Huskies, University of Connecticut out here is blue. They are blue. <laughs> Yes, red and blue, blue and red. All right, so you got more right than you got wrong, so I'm going to call you the winner. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so let me stop this here, and we are back. All right, so uh, thank you for being a good sport and playing along there. That was fun. Thank you very much. Thank you for what you do, Dale. I think you're a good platform. I think it's important for your listeners to understand uh, what African Americans uh, go through uh, as law enforcement uh, officers uh, nation nationally. Definitely, definitely. I appreciate everything you do, and uh, you be safe out there in Maryland. All right. Thank you. Next time y'all here, uh, uh, give me a call, and I go get you a Maryland uh, crab cake. You probably never had one. No, I haven't. I, I definitely want to do that. I was in on the East Coast a few years ago with the family and want to go back. So once all this COVID thing clears up, I'll definitely look you up. Okay, man. Take care of yourself. Thank you. God Thank bless you, you, sir. Yourself. Appreciate you. Appreciate okay, you. Man. All right. Hi, ladies and gentlemen. That's it for this episode of the Black and Blue Podcast. I want to thank uh, Vernon Heron, Director of the Officer Safety and Wellness Division of the Baltimore Police Department, for joining me here today. You know, that was some real good information and insight because we could all use some advice on keeping ourselves healthy and well. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate you. And if you guys out there appreciate this sort of content, smash that like button on the Black and Blue Podcast YouTube channel or whatever podcast platform you hear my sultry golden voice here today. I'll be back next week with another hard-hitting episode. So till then, you already know. Stay black and blue. I'll holla at you. Peace. This has been a Nature Day Entertainment presentation.